0: a client would message me every time something would come through i was just i didn't enjoy it when i started to not enjoy it i started to do it less got worse at replies so that someone can come in and bring their their passion bring their flair but have an exact process of how
1: to do it so so you've got this like value bank of all these people who remember and trust you from what you've done previously Mm -hmm. and that was five years ago what's that going to look like in 20 years time when you keep cranking out the same amount of volume this is why a lot of people fail when they go to mentors because they're given a one-size-fits-all approach of like yeah all 100 of you go and do this same thing. who are in exactly the same market, mm-hmm. live in the same country. If you're an online trainer is looking to be successful, you're in for an absolute treat. because I feel like I've got the Australian version of myself. We've got Reese Livingstone, who has a very successful fitness business, also is a very successful business mentor in the fitness industry. And I don't think I found anyone else who I'm really congruent with in click on exactly the same wavelength. So this is gonna be a really interesting conversation if you're looking to like grow your fitness business with no bullshit from someone who's actually fucking done the thing and teaches people to do the thing. And Alex Wormozy talks about what the highest level of authority is someone who does the thing and someone teaches other people to do the thing successfully. And you've got two people in this podcast who are going to open up a wealth of knowledge to help you. So thank you very much for your time, series Charlie, thank
0: you. It's um, a pleasure to be here in Dubai. It's, um, thank you for pushing me to come, actually. You started that conversation, like, when are you coming? So I appreciate uh, that first th- thought and i um, happy to be here.
1: Thank you. Cool. And uh, I would say part of that that people should take value of is network because... Mark Fox, who owns Coon as a coaching app, introduced us. To be like, you two would get on. Mm. Obviously. <laughs> um, so, thank you for the introduction, Mark. And if you listen to my podcast, Mark, that's also on the show. First thing I want to get into, Reese, I think is one of the biggest issues most people have, and that's limiting belief. Now, mm. in Australia, I'm obviously not from Australia. I believe there's something called tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, like yeah, I know islands reef like, rife for the same type of thing. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that was something you ever suffered with in terms of breaking out the mold to be successful and that was holding you back at any point?
0: I at like I think it was naivety for me. I think I didn't I was never exposed to um, what I now see to be successful. I was never exposed to tangible success success in any manner. So I didn't really know what wasn't it wasn't possible um it wasn't really until that I actually started to do the thing and then I think with any fitness business that you get to some point where you're all your friends are like it's just a fitness business and they they use that one word just like you're just a personal trainer and it always used to upset me and then that would all, that that did get to me at some point where I was like okay well if I'm just a personal trainer can I have a longevity in this industry can I create a career uh maybe my, my dad is right because he was quite uh, against going down that road you know wanted the traditional have a career that you have for 30 years work a job um and because that's what he did and i definitely kind of i definitely had my moments when we've had we've had some pretty big failure for failure points some pretty big downturns of clients definitely had points where i'm like okay well maybe maybe they're correct um and i think the australian culture is very much like you said it's tall poppy syndrome is rampant where people you start to see something doing something good and they will try and find things to point out that are, they sh- you know it's just luck or you shouldn't get it blah 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 um but ultimately I think for me I just pushed through because I started to actually start I started to see the thing that where I could take a change in my life and I, I created enough uh, I had seen enough failure where I saw that time was the enemy and uh, the only way for me out of that was to build something that was not completely tied to my provision of time. And that's
1: the the constitution of a job. And this is where I say to probably ninety-nine percent of people listen to this. You call what I call the, like to call the golden handcuffs, where mm. you earn good money, but you can't fucking step away. So, mm-hmm. i give a good example. One of my favorite things I do twice a year, I go to the Maldives, it's like tropical paradise, four hours from Dubai. Yep. I don't take my phone. Amazing. No one can contact me. Amazing. And then the first time I did it, I'm not going to lie, I was shitting myself. Like, you know, like you get, <laughs> yeah. like, everyone who has a business is like paranoid. Like, yeah. Instagram's yeah. going to save my account, Facebook's going to shut down, Stripes will shut me down. Yeah. I'm going to come back into carnage. I came back and nothing happened. Like, everything had continued without me. I was mm. like, I've done it I actually have a business that works and I've replaced myself like, well, and that's the thing I think that's
0: where people I actually had this question the other day one of my clients said to me like what What? how do you know it's a business when is it a business and my initial answer is like when you sell something to someone and it's just it's not the case right especially in our business where it's client provision or at least for most personal trainers it's service provision you ultimately have 30, 40, 50 the amount of clients you have is the amount of bosses you have because you work on their time and their schedule and you owe them the responses and their expectations need to be met that's the definition of a boss and for me, it was like, it really became a business when I could step away from that and I didn't have to do that anymore and the business could still take, you know, take a profit and, t- and turn money. And there's there's been some eye-opening points and a similar where we've gone on
1: holidays and things have happened. So it's like, oh, it's not that bad, right? The business ran. I, something just distinctly came into my head. I remember... Um we will have a limiting belief that we have to do everything in the business. And one of those mm-hmm. biggest things might be sales consultations with clients. Mm-hmm. And I had that for a long time. They're like, no one will buy a program if I don't talk to them. And then I remember sitting on my birthday with my ex wife at the time in the Jamira Madnut Hotel in Dubai, ironically. And I was at the Chinese restaurant that's banging, by the way, probably eating pecan duck. And uh, I remember a 3K PayPal payment came up with my phone. I was like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. I was like, the system works. <laughs> like, I don't have to do all of this. Yeah, And I think that's, um, you have. Huge limiting beliefs That like Smashed for you And for me That was one of the big ones At the time What would you say Is the biggest Limiting belief You had to break To get to where you are now I honestly I think I had to accept That at some point If I wanted to go down The road of the business
0: Growing I had to accept That that meant I would become a bad coach And I loved fitness And I still love fitness myself And we are talking about This off camera But There was a point In my career Where I, I knew that For the business to scale I needed new people And So I hired people, right? But then I still kept doing the service provision. I still, you know, servicing clients. And I think I had maybe 75 individual clients as we were still growing the other people. And it got to a point where I just realized that every time a client would message me, every time something would come through, I was just, I didn't enjoy it. When I started to not enjoy it, I started to do it less, got worse at replies. Um, And overall became what I would constitute now as a pretty bad coach. And I admitted that to all my clients. I said, hey, look, I'm no longer in this. I'm no longer as passionate about this as I once was. Um, but I've now built a team that I trust and that are amazing at what they do. And I just started to siphon them off into, you know, the appropriate coaches that would be best suited. So I needed to for me the, the limiting belief was I had to be the service provider. And that then grew into, you know, the I was always doing the sales. So I had the the best track record for sales and then had to train the team to emulate that. And we have interestingly enough, we've built the sales internally. So all of our coaches initially did the sales. We've now just started to recently outsource that as well. But there was a very big limiting belief that like, well, I have the skill set, maybe the, the charisma, maybe the, just the, the specific gift of the, the specific words. And I couldn't teach that. And it wasn't until I actually started, to, I'm a very systems oriented person. So I started to map out, well, what do I say? How do I say it? When do I say it? And order, started to break down like a script of how I sold. And that was a very big limiting belief break where like, well, once I could systemize the approach, create a standard operating procedure, I could then teach it, break it down into segments, don't script it, but teach a framework. Because once I taught a framework, anyone could come in with their personality and go, I can I can now work off this rather than just sell to a script. And so, yeah, breaking through just all points of service provision. I think I've done it at every point in the business. It's either been the service, it's been the sales, it's been the marketing, um, the tech, the automation, there's been points where I was just like, I can do it better, I can do it better. And it's not until I just release that and go, well, no, I need to hire someone. If, if it's, It comes down to capital, right? You've got leverage, capital, tech, media, right? If you have enough capital, you can find someone better than you. And that was where I, I had kind of realised, like, well, we've got enough money in the bank where
1: why do I have this ego to say I can do it? Why don't I just find someone better than me? And that's what I did. And that's how you get leverage and that's how you get your time back mm-hmm. to then focus on the next thing. And I think... The biggest thing most people don't understand is that you can have control or you can have growth, you can't have everything. Like Absolutely. If you try yeah. and do everything yourself, then you can do that. And I actually I reckon I could probably pretty much hustle on my own to seven figures a year without mm. and just do everything. Yep. I could probably have a VA and I could coach and I could sell and I'd make a lot of money. It would be fucking a grind yep. and I probably wouldn't enjoy it and I'd burn I'd probably only do it for a year and then I'd be like fuck this. Yeah. Um but, but doable. But yeah, it's doable if you're if you've got the mindset and you're talented enough and I think the biggest thing that I would say that I can teach someone and you can teach someone is we both have battle scars in terms of stupid shit that we've done oh, but yeah. it's a really bad idea that you shouldn't do yep. what would you say is the biggest mistake you've made say in building your fitness business uh, I think the most obvious would be tax
0: okay. uh, now in Dubai lovely we don't have that here um, but in Australia that was a big issue um, going to a point when like, to kind of rewind the clock a little bit I first grew Uh, the business to a point of reaching a pretty high tax threshold in Australia in a single year so I went from earning maybe the business was turning over less than $50,000 a year to $350,000 the next year so there was a big increase of growth and I hadn't accounted for any margin of tax I spent like a uh, that would have been 21 I spent like a 21 year old that had a horrible relationship with money and I bought a bunch of shit that I didn't need and it was just definitely operating out of a position of ego and a position of fear like I was going to lose it all and uh, yeah then I had a tax bill come through and $80, $85,000 that I didn't have the money for that I'd literally just wasted away and had to yeah, pay down a tax debt uh, over an installments and that was pretty challenging so the, the dumb thing for me was just not having a grasp of my finances thinking that like all the money that the business earned was mine to, mine to keep. I didn't reinvest into growth. I didn't actually look into how can I take that money somewhere else? And how can I how can I even look for more talent, more staff? How can I make it grow uh,
1: without me? I just thought, well, I'll just keep doing this thing and it'll move. What you said there is interesting because I said this to a few people recently, actually. One of the biggest issues they have in the business, their profit margin are too high. Mm. And that's why they're not growing. Yeah, if your profit, profit margin is like 80%, Is like- What you are you doing know, with it? Yeah, Like there is nothing better that you can do with the money to put it back into the business to like someone to learn from mm-hmm. someone to help you build the systems a team to scale Or even even
0: specifically just direct advertising
1: or paid ads you like, just, like you could I- even if you'd never done that like we built to
0: seven figures above seven figures completely organically Had never done paid ads and it's like, okay, well if we've got the profit margin, there, like, why are we not? Why are we not? So that's what we've done. We've only just started moving into paid advertising now But if you have an 80% profit margin I agree that you're, you're 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 growing yourself into a point of constraint, and I I often talk to like I talk to clients about this often. Where I don't think there's many there's not many rules. There are no rules in business, right? But I think when the, when we go into something such a deep rabbit hole of there's no rules, we then have no guidelines of what should we aim for, and like what is a healthy profit margin that actually still allows the business to grow, still has a bit of st- security, and so on. So I've kind of figured out from, you know, anecdotally, 35% is what we kind of run off, is what we try and aim for, um, because that just gives us enough operational cash flow to put back into the business as well. And that has served me as paid dividends to make sure that we can still invest appropriately and, you know, have enough cash in the bank to, you know, if ever we needed to pay out annual leave, if we ever needed to pay out um, any staff, if there was any
1: problems, we would be safe to do so. I'm glad you said that. And one of the things that people don't understand as well is that, the bigger the business you have, the Mm. lower the profit margin is going Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. I think statistically, the average profit margin of US business is only like 9%. So if you're an online business at like 33%, then you're fucking 3x the average anyway. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that you can have like 30% of something that makes a million dollars a year, or you can have 60% of something that makes 200 grand a year. Like what do you want to choose? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's rather than the slice of the pie, think of the pie itself. mm. Like how big is the piece? And one of the things you said was thinking about frameworks, and it's interesting because... I almost look at like everything in my life in terms of frameworks now. Oh yeah. And then when you learn the concept of that, you can then teach that to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I find why I find fitness of business so interesting is like they're multifaceted and the same frameworks almost apply over each other. So like mm-hmm. if you can get in really good shape and say for example you can complete, you're very disciplined, you're good with routine, you're very organized, a lot of these things carry over to being really good at running like an online business Absolutely. because there's a lot of the same characteristics
0: yeah I like I've competed a couple of times the last time I competed was realistically where off the back of that that actually built the online growth because like I, I rolled that discipline into something else and for me I'm very like I'm very logic hyperlogical and I hyper fixate on things right um, it's you know I've spoken to my psychologist quite often about this there's it tends to, she tends to think that I've got ADHD where I hyperfixate and I will go all in on certain things and then I cannot be distracted once I'm there but if I'm not focused on one thing I'm everywhere Um, and for me that shift from comp prep to really focusing on growing business was that that's kind of where I redirected I redirected all the energy there and it worked very very well that was where we had you know our biggest online growth prior I I was completely in person one-on-one serving time for money and it was after that prep that that's where I was like okay
1: first staff member what do I do how do I do it and just learning those processes in terms of you mentioned speaking to a psychologist is interesting because that's something I've done mm-hmm. at numerous times throughout my career. What was the main reason for that? Um, business stress initially and then personal stress it's, it's, as well. I think it cross-populated. It's harder than people realize mm. and I actually messaged a good friend of mine who I co in another business with called Closing Force to say like, I have no idea how the fuck people like Elon Musk can like mentally control the amount of things going through their head.
0: Yeah because it would just be an absolute clusterfuck of every just there's so much going on at every given moment and to be able to give anything your attention to be able to give anything to show up at 100% to anything when there are so many things um i i like i have not gotten uh i've not found the answer yet right like for me the initial spark to go down that road to actually explore how i think why i think and what i like who i am as a person it was it was a result of of balance right like i I didn't have any, and to to this day, I still. And this may be a bit, you know, contrarian of a belief system, but I don't believe in balance. I I, I do not. Fucking thinking this in the way here in the car, right. as well I can talk about this. And I, I fucking hate when people say like, oh, search for a work life balance. Build a build a business and have work life balance. That's like, life doesn't work that way. But you you can, But you'll
1: lose because I'm not balanced, so I'll beat you. Yes, it's like
0: exactly right. And it's like you can you can think here, you can sit here all day and say what the world should be, but you've got to focus on what the fuck it is right and life isn't fair and life will not be balanced and there can never be such thing as priorities there only can be one right by definition if something is a priority there can't be multiple right it is singular and for me um that's how i now have operated and seeing the psychologist has now just allowed me to help essentially accept that that at any given moment there will be priority singular and that is okay and right now that is the business that is the growth and that means that does not come with balance and that's fine later in life the, the scales will tip the other way maybe I have more lifestyle the business will be less of a priority but it will be not growing at, at the same rate it is now and at that point I might
1: accept that I don't know if I will but and also at that point you would have built the machine that's built the machine right correct and that's what you're going through at the moment and I can tell instantly from talking to you you're the same as me that you enjoy doing this yeah it's like my big red shiny toy that I get to play with and it's not, not only
0: the entertainment factor it is, it is the toy, but it, it'll, it is also sl- the solution to the pain. Mm. Right? Whenever, whenever I'm stressed, right, generally the stress is gonna tie back to freedom, financi- like financial status, um, revenue, whatever we're doing, um, or maybe some sort of problem in the business. Sitting at home is not going to help me. Yeah, fix the fucking problem. Go to work and do the, do the thing, like fix the thing. And that's to me, it's like the answer to the stress is, is the stress, the obstacle is the way. And that has, that has helped me massively.
1: Why do you think so many people struggle to think like that? Because the biggest frustration I get with people is they, like, stick their head in the fucking sand and then, like, under the duvet and just hope for the best the next day that it goes away. Mm. I think it's, ex- it's society's expectations, or at least those around you. Um, I read a quote yesterday. It was Alex
0: Hormozzi as well. He said, like, people don't want the best of you. They want the best version of you for them. And ultimately, that's what I've experienced whenever it comes to people trying to pull me away from the business. It's like, oh, you, sh- you should have more hobbies. Like, wh- Why? like I don't want your life like I shouldn't do anything I should do what is necessary for me to create the life I want to don't enforce enforce your should on me like I don't, I don't think that's helpful um, second to that I think people people are always too, too scared to make the hard choice right from, from experience every time that I've had a hard decision to make right whenever I go down the easy road, it's generally the, you keep trying to go down the easy road. Like, oh, I'll just keep doing this thing instead. I'll keep doing this thing instead. And there's always this, this thing in the back of my mind, like maybe I should just do this other thing. It's harder, but maybe I should do it. It's generally the right thing because if it wasn't the right thing, all these other things would have already worked. And
1: it's like, well, maybe just make the hard choice earlier and you'll just like shorten this curve of adaption. And it's always the thing you don't want to do that always leads to the biggest like turnaround in the business or uplift mm-hmm. to find. Mm-hmm. I can speak completely from experience in that. Like we had, maybe nine months
0: ago, some some staffing problems in the business. And it was something that I kicked the can down the road, like, oh, we'll deal with that later. And, you know, at, even at the time, it felt like, okay, that the, the correct thing to do, the right thing to do, is actually have the hard conversation now with the staff, reset the standard and, and adjust from there. But no, I, I did. I kicked the can down the road and I took it later and then the problem got worse. And then it was like, okay, now the problem is bigger and the conversation became harder to have. And had I just actually listened to the data, I'm very data-oriented, but... Unfortunately, when it comes to staff, there's emotion involved and it's their livelihood. It's like, okay, well, yeah, data says not good, but good human clause, maybe we'll just keep trying. And I've now learned that the, the good human clause doesn't play, it doesn't, have, doesn't play a role in business.
1: Like, I think data has to lead the way. It's black and white, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think my own personal experience, I've never seen anyone, When you look at team building who I've hired, who started badly, who's ended up well. Mm. No one starts shit, and then like they become a rock star suddenly. Like they either hit the ground running or Mm. they don't.
0: Yeah, like yeah, I think there's proof. Like the first six weeks, mm. I think that's really realistically is the cutoff. If you if you don't see that that
1: that stardust in in the first six weeks, it's not coming. In terms of hiring, I'd say is one of the biggest factors, in particular when you're at seven figures and looking to go, say for example, eight. What would you say is your process in terms of hiring team members at the moment and? building like a team of A players, for example. Yeah, I think um, I love that you, you,
0: you use the term A players hmm. because I've had a team, I've had teams of, of B and C players, people that just move the needle forward and they just do the, the grunt but work. You have to have
1: that at the start as well because they're, they're not going to come and work for you for yeah. fucking the, the best Yeah, at day one.
0: I think um, right now we're in a position where we're trying to run leaner um,
1: we, we've essentially gone through a, pl- a
0: process of readjusting company culture to um, not just influ- positively influence like profit margins and so on, but to actually like change the service a little bit. So we're now running at our leanest that we ever have. But the next move that we, we are making is to try and look for – we're we're essentially trying to headhunt. We're trying to poach the people that are already great at what they're doing, that have the skill set. And previously, like when I've hired, I've always and I've said this publicly, um, I don't care about skill set. I'll teach you how we do it. And I've always hired from essentially the bottom up, right? I'm like, oh, cool, someone that's fresh. I can teach them how to do it my way and don't have any external influence. But ultimately, I found that do that for long enough you just become the genius with a thousand hands and it's just emulations of you no one has different innovation no one has different things that are better or different to bring to the table and um so that's our our move forward now is essentially just hire talent only and we're looking for those a players and how we're doing that is we're first trying to standardize the whole the whole coaching process so that someone can come in and bring their their passion bring their flair but have an exact process of how to do it so you know if ever they were to leave if ever they were to be in a place where they couldn't work someone else could take the reins pretty quickly pretty easily without you know a big panic of like where are these clients going to go how are they going to get serviced um it all comes back to sound operating procedures for me so i mapping that out first to then present to this talent like this is exactly what's expected of you and this is where you have the free reign to have innovation um I think ultimately, though, like hiring A-talent, A-grade a staff, it comes down to a few things. It comes down to remuneration package. You need to pay well. They need to have a reason to come to you. Company culture needs to be high. And that's something that we haven't had in the past. Being an online business, staff being spread, company culture is something that we struggled with. Um, but we've now put in places like, you know, like yourself, team meetings regularly. Um, we do social settings now as well. And that, I feel like, is the big thing that most companies lack, especially in the online world trying to try and actually build that inbound that internal culture um yeah and
1: cross over that to coaches as well like anything online and trying to build culture it's challenging i would say the biggest difference has probably come on our business last year or two is ingraining like weekly meetings and like we have daily meetings for certain teams now mm-hmm. and like and it's all the boring business shit that you don't want to do that like yep. uh, when i was a state agent five years ago I was like fuck this daily meeting bullshit i don't want to do this yeah and like now i'm the one who's like we have to fucking do this because it makes so much difference because mm-hmm it's like a feedback loop. You're finding problems, fixing problems, finding problems, fixing yeah. problems. And that's how you move ahead really quickly rather than like, you find out three months later from John who's like, yeah, that hasn't worked for fucking three months. You're like, well, yeah. oh, I didn't know about that.
0: Yeah. That's something that I, I speak to my staff often about. Like actually, especially like more of, of late, this problem solution cycle is just mm. speeding up faster than ever. And it's, it's somewhat frustrating. It's like, oh, we've just fixed a thing and now we found a new thing and it's never ending. And you know, Pat, he's uh, he's my right hand man and he's, he's, essentially the two i see the business and he always is the the soundboard whenever i come up with an idea or a problem um he's the first to know and he's just like man another one another one it's like yeah and i live for it i'm like yeah another problem let's go and um it it becomes interesting because like you're right that cycle just starts to shorten and that's where you get actually like compounding growth because all the things that are holding back say your competitors that are taking them six months to realize you're realizing it in four days okay cool now we can adjust and adapt and we can take over far quicker
1: with where you're at at the moment what's the number one lead generation strategy you guys are using at the moment and you recommend for people to use based on the current environment and what's working
0: we've done as i think i mentioned before we've built to you know now multi-seven figures completely organically so um I, th- I say volume i say volume of content production and i say volume precedes perfection every time um to give the listeners at home a little bit of an understanding, if you were doing, say, video content, right, I think that video content is now the way of the current landscape of the fitness industry, at least, and it's necessary. You need to get good on camera. It's actually one of the processes we put in place in hiring. You, you need to be good on camera. Otherwise, we don't want to see you, right? Now, if you are going down the road of creating video content, short-form content, or long-form, let's say you allocate two hours. I think that's most common for people. They're like, oh, I'll allocate a couple-hour block to do some content, And um, then I'll I'll clip it up and I'll post it. Generally, the first 25% sucks, right? You're just getting warmed up. You don't know what you're saying. It's hard. Now, you've just had a quarter of your time is gone, right? Now, if we look at that over a period of, if you were to now block out six hours instead of two, you can say, instead of, we know that there's not going to be an increased percentage. It's not actually going to be a matched percentage. It's going to be matched time. So maybe your first hour sucks, right? Maybe your first half an hour sucks. But now you have five and a half hours of great, as opposed to losing a quarter of the time that you've allocated to film, you've now lost 5%. Now you have actual ability to bulk create. So we batch create. We batch create twice, twice a month. We do 30 like, videos. Like Alex Romoza does. Yeah, yeah. Did you copy that? that uh, we started We started prior. I'm happy to okay. say we started prior. Did Alex copy you? No, I don't think yeah. so. He's just, just yeah, thought a of a kin. Yeah, It's <laughs> one of the, you know, two of a kind. But we started it just from, we had a point where, honestly, business had slowed down. So, okay, well, how do you break the machine? You quintuple you keep compounding the amount of comp- content you create and then we can learn faster it's that whole problem solution cycle we can learn what content really connects with our audience faster so that was my main goal Is we just started posting um ungodly amount of times um up until a point where we were posting 20 times a day across one platform and then we would you know omnipresence in that everywhere so youtube shorts instagram tiktok you know but we were there we noticed an incre- a massive increase in of an organic acquisition. The big thing though, that where I feel like most businesses like even if, and I, it's the, yeah, the, the take home or the, the quotable point of every business mentor, if, if I gave you 30 clients tomorrow, could you take it? Like, the is no for most people. And the, the, the process is, or they, where they fall down is in the process of, of nurturing, right? Where we kill it is we have a lot of organic acquisition. We have a lot of inbound inquiries. But from the moment they're inquiring, they're like, I'm a heavy believer that time kills all deals and speed is king. So they get contacted immediately. So we have automation processes that go in to contact them immediately within five minutes. Sorry, straight away, five minutes. Um, five minutes later, they get a um, an AI call from me. So it's like, Robot, Robot Reese comes in and says, like, hey, Charlie, saw you inquired? So it pulls your name, puts your name in um, from your inquiry platform and says, So you've inquired but you've not yet booked, here's another link. And then we start to nurture them appropriately through that cycle over the next, we go up to about six weeks. So we've got essentially a, a lot of uh, autom- automated, a lot of uh, you know, touch points, but we don't believe in just giving touch points and trying to pester them to book. We give them value at every point. So it might be a free program, it might be a free um, you know, breakdown of someone else's diet, it might be a case study, it might be anything that we can think of and we bolster that out based on gender type. So males get in a certain flow, females get in another flow and that allows us to nurture people into a very high conversion, a very high acquisition because once they start to get a little
1: bit of that value, we found that our referrals start to just spider about and compound. And the referrals is the big thing that people don't understand is actually having a fucking good product. Because if you can you get one client to refer you two people and you do that consistently, your business will grow forever for, yep. for free. For free, yeah. And that's sort of the game and the goal, right? Yeah. And, and if uh, you can create predictability around that
0: too, you can now start to go, okay, well, my lifetime v- customer value of singular customer is X. But each singular customer through their lifetime value refers X amount of people. So now one client is worth, let's say, $5,000 as opposed to 2000 And that if you are going down the road of like paid acquisition and paid marketing, you now know you can pay any less than $5,000 to get one lead and you will make money.
1: And that's basically what we do in our fitness business to a lot degree. Because I know for example, we can break even on the front end Mm -hmm. because we kill it with so much on the back end by retention and referrals. Mm -hmm. So it's just using clients to acquire more clients. So I don't give a shit if we just break even at the front or even a slight loss. Because I know longer term and big picture, there's a huge ROI on that and also, as interesting, I looked at this yesterday, I think we had like 35 million reach on our ad account on one of them, we've got like mm-hmm. five ad accounts. So it's like, there's an intrinsic value to people just seeing your ads all the time. Yeah, Because you're in front of them all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they may not you. be ready now. But at some point. Yep. Yeah, And that's uh, the omnipresence thing you, you spoke about earlier on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to sum that up, if we're, if we're looking at trying to get the best acquisition, I think, um, like you said before, you could probably grind, hustle, and build a seven figure your business yourself. I'm a firm believer that people can build a seven-figure business without paid acquisition. Oh, okay, I, think, I think people get into that road far too quickly. They think it's a solution to it. It's a Hail Mary. Like, I can just chuck some money uh, at a problem. I think
1: it's because they're not willing to put in the work on the content or the organic side of stuff to mm. make it Work.
0: It's also it's also they're a victim of the situation that they're in. They're they're a victim of the, the landscape of the fitness business as a whole because you've got every Tom Dick and Harry yelling at them that they need to do paid ads and that that's the answer to their future and like you can throw money at a problem. And it's like one, it's it teaches horrible habits in business. You can't just throw money at all problems. Sometimes it takes actual you know business
1: acumen and skill set. I've um, tried throwing money at a lot of things and it's working very badly. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and likewise, I think like if you don't learn the, if you don't learn the lesson, the money is just going to keep moving, right? So. Rather than falling into this trap of like, okay, well, paid acquisition. Like, I've spoken to so many, so many clients or so many even consults like that are interested in mentoring. Like, oh, okay, well, I just I just launched my first ads. Like, oh well, how much you no, making? They've
1: got no business basically.
0: Correct, and they they have no cash flow, and they they're already in this place. They've been told by some guru guru on the internet that they need to niche down their market, and they have no cash flow. Like, you you haven't
1: earned the right to only train a specific human yet. Okay, so this is a good question. And I was actually having a WhatsApp conversation with some of this earlier. What's your opinion on niching? I don't, th- I don't think it's fucking necessary. I don't think okay. you should I, until you've got success, until you've got massive amounts of cash flow. Because, okay, so I literally had this WhatsApp conversation with a guy on the way here who wanted mm-hmm. business mentoring, mm-hmm. and he said that he doesn't have a niche and he's really broad. I was like, fucking perfect. That's amazing exactly what you do. Yeah, and he's like, oh, every other mentor tells me not to, not to do it's, that. And then it's you will waste money, and, and I will... literally replied to him, it's because they haven't got a fucking fitness business. Yeah. Yeah, because they've 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 saw someone post a, a thing
0: saying that you know, uh, in in the American accent, you know, riches are in the niches. It's like, yes, later. It's like the old saying of like, um, you know, every millionaire has seven streams of income. It's like no, they now have seven streams. They of had one, one really profitable one at the beginning. Correct. Like, they funded yeah. everything. Yes, and now it's like now they've diversified. You, you do not need to go down the road of, um, if you if you back yourself into a corner. Right, before you have cash flow, going can be very fucking hard to come out of it. Once you do have the cash flow, you're now pigeonholed into a, a market that potentially may not serve you long-term, right? This is a conversation that comes up quite often. If you've got a market, a horrible market, and I, I mean this objectively, a bad market to work in is young females between the ages of 18 and 21, right? They have bad habits of spending, right? They generally aren't financially stable. So, and they make emotional decisions, right? And that's from experience. We've we've dealt with that market for a large period of our time. And let's say you have a minimum term of 12 weeks now and an 80% uptake of after that minimum term. In a market that can't sustain that cash flow over a period of time or a market that makes an emotional decision exclusively, 12 weeks they're gone. Now you have to have new churn and new acquisition all the time, right? So if you If you're in this market to just go, okay, well, I want to work with these type of people because maybe they're popular on Instagram and maybe they're easier to acquire. Yes, easier to acquire doesn't also mean longevity or sustainability. So before you even go down that road of like, well, who should I work with? Who's a good market? Figure it the fuck out. Work with everyone and then start to figure out what your
1: market, what your product resonates with and what you actually know how to coach. And this is what I found and what I find works with everyone who's successful. Your Mm -hmm. market will gravitate to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people who you end up coaching the most, that is your market.
0: Yeah, I can I can speak this from a, even from a different realm, right? I uh, used to have a apparel business. We've recently sold that. Um, but our marketing, we did paid advertising for that. And for product, I believe in paid advertising for product, right? I think it's necessary, right? Unless you have a very big, large um, influence of reach, probably not going to be uh, an easy road. Um, but down that path of paid acquisition for product, we were selling you know, oversized T-shirts, hats, and so on. Uh the only thing we marketed to the interests were tattoos and fitness. Those were the two. We so didn't you the target market, right? Correct. <laughs> correct. But that was not where we started. Yeah. We we completely niched down to, you know, males between this age and this with five hundred different interests. Like
1: and we settled on a very broad market too. And we had far more success there. Far, far more. And the way I'd explain the niching thing is say you listen to this, say you've got Five to ten thousand followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. not all of your followers are going to see all your content in terms of reach. Mm. So, if you start targeting vegan mums who live in Dubai, the percentage of people who follow you who are vegan mums who live in Dubai is going to be pretty small. So, yep. it makes absolutely no sense to try and target something so specific. Mm-hmm. I think even just building traffic
0: on your own as well like learning the skill set like coming back to what I said before if you just throw money at the problem you don't actually learn the you don't get the experience that's required to sustain your business long term right coming back to your example with comp prep, like the dedication the discipline and so on it's the posting x amount of times per day every day for endless period of time with no return. That over time, now, once upon a time, I never used to believe in branding. I thought branding was rubbish. I thought there's no quantifiable return. If I made the color of my logo, this or that, I don't know whether it actually worked. Now, to that, I still say, yeah, somewhat true. I think a lot of people obsess over their business name for way too long and what colors they're putting in place. However, branding is a long game, right? If you post three times a day, every day for the next six months, and now someone finally comes to your page, they've got how much content to scroll through? that's brand reputation yeah and it's it's we've got just a a brand equity that is actually tangible now rather than just this thing that
1: is disjointed and things are everywhere right i'll give a good example of this i've been doing youtube a while maybe like five six years my channel's not massive like thirty thousand subscribers verified all that stuff just casual yeah yeah (laughs) but, but like uh the reality is that i looked the other day and i was like we had fucking 17 million views i was like yeah, that's that's quite a fucking lot of people. Yeah, because I've had random people on sales calls for the mastermind. Like, yeah, I watched your uh, it's like random YouTube videos. Like one with Larry Wheels like two years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like whatever. And I'm like, okay, like that's interesting because people still remember that. So you've got this like value bank of all these people who remember and trust you from what you've done previously. Mm-hmm. And that was five years ago. What's that going to look like in twenty years' time when you keep cranking out the same amount of volume? Or?
0: It also shows growth of growth of you as an individual, growth of you as a brand. And I think as the business owner. There's a level of ego attached to that, like, oh, I don't want people to see what I used to be. I don't want 100%. people to see that I was once really bad on camera. Um, we've we made a decision a while ago to leave all of our old podcast episodes live. Right, you can go back and see episode one. It's horrible, um, but we still have clients for that for, for the fitness business come through and be like I'm starting at episode one, and like please don't, but they do and they actually enjoy the development. But it's of the more business. sincere, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I used to. I set my seven figure business Basically in a shed In my garden in the Mm -hmm. UK And did Mm -hmm. my podcast from there So everyone goes back And looks those You'll see like It looked like It was a fucking joke But um, And it gives context To where you've come from And I think people Want to go back And see that journey And also Mm -hmm. I know you'll be the same That sometimes I look back And like That's where it came from That's quite like And I also say to people now When I speak to them is like I did it, look where I came from, you can do it.
0: Yeah. I I have that all the time where like um I I have a a private facility now, right? We have a gym, we have a podcast studio, we've 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 kitted out massively. But there's times where I walk through that and it's like this started in the spare room of my parents' house. Like with horrible it just it was a horrible setup. And I remember coming home as a as an in person personal trainer, I would come home and I'm I think this is pretty much a, a standard across the board with any entrepreneur, anyone that runs a business, they get home and they spend Thirty minutes in their car, just in their driveway, just sitting there, like fuck. I don't want to go inside and deal with more people. Um, and I would do that every day, and then I would go upstairs and like I had the, had a whiteboard there, and like okay, well, how am I taking this online? What am I doing? And I, would, I just those mapping out, mapping all that out. Even though people can't see it, even though I didn't document it, but even the fact that there's podcast episodes where we're in a spare room of a crappy house, um, it does show that growth. But it also shows that you've done it. And I think that comes back to what you said in just in the introduction, two people that have made the made the way in the fitness industry but have actually done it, not just are teaching from theory. We've gone through the struggles, we've
1: gone through the bullshit. And that for me is my frustration. Theory and practice are completely different. Mm-hmm. And when you actually do the thing, you see what really works and mm-hmm. you also understand what it fucking takes. And I often I almost get emotional to people out sometimes in the call, like, you don't understand what I've had to do to get here. And like, If you're not... I feel sometimes that I want it for them more than they do. Yeah. Because people... They want the prize, but they're not willing to go through the process to get the Mm prize. And the reality is, like, anything that you want to achieve in life, you're going to have to sacrifice for and, like, put some fucking effort in. Whereas if it was easy, everyone would do it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I completely agree. And I think that the the industry doesn't show you that. The coaching
0: industry especially. Like, uh, the fitness industry, I think, unfortunately, has... Uh, a very vain, it's, it's a very vain industry, mm. right? And I think a lot of people in, enter the industry from a position of lack. They're they are not confident, they're not happy. It's like, you know, look at any physical change, it generally starts from not being happy, mm. right? And that's where most businesses have started from in the fitness industry, and they kind of stay there for a long period of time, seeing like, seem like a victim of the, the circumstances they've been dealt. Well, I have to trade time. My Online is like, you know, meant for the influencers. It's, like, it's not. You know, you, you can just... You have 3,000 followers, if you get just every single
1: one of them to pay you once. Like, you're going to be doing all right. And I know you would do the same as me. I've spoken to a lot of influencers. A lot of influencers make very little money. Mm-hmm. And a very fast trap a lot of them get lured into as well, uh, opinion I'm going to say, is um, using shitty third party software companies Agreed. who take a percentage of their business yep. and basically rob them fucking blind. Yep. Like, we had a guy, I won't mention who he is, who came to us recently, last two, three months. He was previously selling like shit programs on like an automated app that's going to be wiped, wiped out by AI. AI mm-hmm. I don't know, like a couple hundred dollars ago. He's now selling programs at two and a half, three thousand $3,000 ago, And it's like a fucking different game. Mm-hmm. And that's what people don't understand the difference of like, when you've been in the trenches and done it, like, yeah. And I say to people like literally like dead serious, I'm like, what you're doing right now is exactly what I'd want to do if I was not looking to make money and not be successful. And their face just drops. I'm like,
0: hmm, I think
1: that's 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 those, those
0: moments where you can look at
1: people and you speak to
0: them. Like you speak to business owners every day, and you go, "Well, do you do you want the end of the, the prize at the end of the tunnel, or do you want the, the quick win now? Do you want it? Do you want it to look cool that you've got an app that's this that and like bells and whistles, cool? But in five years, when you're actually making money because you've learnt the skills to actually kind of do the work, and they're still taking thirty five percent, probably not great.
1: And it's funny because this is what well it's not funny; but it's more sad. It's almost like when you're in it, you see behind the curtain, you're know, mm-hmm. like, "Fuck, this is how it really works," mm. because the influencer crew doesn't really understand it, and then the general public doesn't have a fucking clue mm. in terms of how it all works. And it's almost like you use the word early charlatans. It's like it's like the wacky races of mm. like what's going on in the background. Yeah, well, you get people, that, and that's the thing. We're in the. I think you
0: and I are uh, we're fighting an uphill battle, right? Mm. Because the the large masses of people in the fitness industry that are coaching business have come from a position, position of a failed business and they're exclusively teaching from theory, right? They've read a marketing book from the 80s and, they, and they're like, okay, well, you need to just paid advertisement. You need to do this, this, and this out, out of home media. Like I spoke to someone recently and they're like, oh, well, do you think I should do a radio advertisement? i like, fuck no. I'm like, D- who, do you, who do you currently train? Oh, I don't really have a, a market. What do you mean? Like, okay, well, what about the majority of your clients? What's their age bracket? Oh, cool, 20 to 25. They don't listen to radio, kid. Like, no way, right? And it's like, who taught you that? Like, oh, this previous business mentor. Like, why? Where Where are you getting this from? And where, where I'm going is like, people are just teaching from this theory of like, oh, it sounds good to do a radio thing. Like, that sounds cool. It sounds impressive, right? Yeah, sounds really cool. It's going to cost you heaps. But for what? Go do your own podcast, put it on your own platform, own the media and distribute it however the hell you want. And do as many of
1: them as you want. Yeah. Put in the reps. Mm-hmm yeah um, slightly different subject but i'd say the same thing in terms of email marketing for fitness mm-hmm. now i would say the scale of my fitness business and your business yes it's worth doing email marketing Agree. but i see fucking retards telling and i mean swear because i get frustrated about <laughs> it recommending people to run email marketing to fitness trainers who make five to ten k a month it's like you have no way to acquire emails without running paid ads at a huge volume mm-hmm. you can't run paid ads because you don't have the money to do it operationally yep. it's quite complex to get that to work and it's more of a long term game mm-hmm. so why would you go and try and execute something that's really difficult when you've got all this low hanging fruit with the easy stuff yeah. let's just go and do this first make more money and then you can do that further down the road and not only is it difficult to get right but it's
0: so long tail oh. to, to, to test if it works you need to have someone in that pipeline for mm. months it's 90 days at least Yeah, and it's like okay well fuck, you have to build out a lot, of, a lot of writing why don't you just go write a bunch of posts post them you get the same return. I, I, I could talk on this for hours, but I think work ethic, I think people need to readjust their level of, like, uh, what they see to be as hard and what they see to be a lot. Um, and, you yeah, know, most notably, I, I had a, a conversation literally two days ago where I was asked, you know, do you ever get overwhelmed? Like, I, I feel really, really overwhelmed. She, said, she, This this individual client, she said, like, I feel really overwhelmed, like, it's really hard. I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing? And it listed out her, her week, her month. like, what how how is this overwhelming like you need to readjust and I think having those conversations that's something that I pride myself on I'm quite direct I'm quite blunt and I will tell clients that if like hey you just need to work more like you just need to adjust your your limiter of what is a lot because if it takes you six hours to do three check-ins like you just got to get better You just got to do more and do more faster at pace and then you can scale. Like before we talk about hiring, before we talk about anything, it's like get good at your thing and get good at doing it really fast
1: and then get good at teaching it and then you can scale. And what you just said reminded me of something that I often see people who, to be honest, I end up turning them away not to work with them because I just can't be asked to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But I've had people before who are like, yeah, I don't have the time. And it'll be like, I don't know, Friday night, 8.30, and I'm interviewing, PM in the evening, and I'm interviewing people. Mm-hmm. And like, I go on social media, and they're fucking around doing something stupid. I'm like, yeah, like this is why you have no money and your business sucked Because mm. the values of what you're prioritizing, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. is completely skewed. And what people need to understand is like, you sh- like short-term sacrifice now, it then gets easier further down the line once the business is bigger and has more scale. Yeah, And I would say, t- to some respects, having a smaller business is much more difficult than having a bigger business because you've got more of a margin for error in terms of more capital coming in. Mm -hmm. And also you don't have to press all the buttons yourself. Yeah, like I said before, when you're a solo, when you're by yourself, you've got 30 bosses that you need to be held accountable to.
0: Like if you have, if you're servicing 30, 50, 60 clients, they're all yours, but they own you. And it's like, that's a very hard place to be. And I think that's where a lot of people, a lot of people in our industry, especially, they get to a point where like they're maybe making their first hundred grand. They, they're like, oh cool, I've, I've made it, right? I've hit my first milestone. But then they struggle to break through from that 100 grand to the 500 grand because all they're focused on is time provision, time provision. And you know I have conversations all the time. It's like, well, you need to just actually systemize your process. You need to make it more efficient. And like, oh, but then I feel like I'm giving them less time. It's like, you are intentionally. You need to find other ways to provide value to these individuals so that you can scale, so that they don't leave, so that the value is not tied to you, but to your business. You can't sell you, right? Like it's impossible, you need to have system, you need to have process and you need to be able to actually like, um, I call it creating ancillary value elsewhere, right? You need to try and make sure that you provide value to them that is not tied to you and your person, you and your time, right? If you can get, if you can do that, you can one, charge infinitely more, but two, you can just start working with compounding amount of people and then it gets to a point like, okay, well now my previous cap was 40 clients. Now my cap is 80. Okay, could I systemize anything else? Like, yeah, you probably could, but Maybe you need some more time to do that. Maybe you need some more brain capacity to actually think that through. Now's the time. Outsource, hire a new coach, new person. Bring someone in to take care of some of that service provision. Buy back some of your time. And this is where I hate people when they they have a smaller business, right? And they're like, okay, I've hired, I've made my first hire, I've bought back some time. I'm like, cool. What are you doing with it? Because if you do nothing with it now, you just haven't. You just have a cost. You're paying someone to do something you were doing. Oh, but lifestyle balance. Like, it's not time for that yet. Right, If you've just bought back time and do nothing, the balance correct, if you're just doing nothing with that time, you're now losing money. You need to do something now with that time. You've bought the time back to create more leverage in some
1: other portion of your business. I would also say the other pick, the big pitfall people get into at that point is thinking they're too good to do certain things. Oh, yeah. So well, that's like replying to their own DMs. They don't want to take mm-hmm. their own sales calls. And it's like, the reality is I still do a bit of that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like if I see someone's reply to it. Yeah. And like, sometimes I like doing it to prove a point of like how much better I am in terms of like mm. than they are, and like this is like a superiority complex in terms of like yeah. you want to be the best in your business, but you also need to do that as the business owner to like prove a point of like well, it's, it's respect. So sure.
0: yeah. it's, you you can't be just the I don't like. Um, is it Simon Sinek has a book that eat, leaders eat last? Yeah, yeah, for yeah, it. it's good. Like you can't be from your iron tower just shouting down at everyone to do everything. You need yeah. to prove that you have done it, can do it, and still can do it better. You just, it's your time is better served elsewhere. And I, I've, I've I proved that time and time again in my business anywhere I can. And something that I, if you are, if for people at home, if you are building a business, if you have a team under you. I think one of the biggest things that I've done that has helped instill this into the company culture that, you know, my time, whilst yes, I'm not coaching, my time is being spent doing good things for the business and helping us grow and, and essentially making their job better. Um, I give open access to my calendar. People can see how much I work when I work and what I'm doing. And from a company culture perspective for the, for the team to be able to see that and to see what I'm, able, what I'm working on at any given point for them to make their job easier, better, more efficient, um, it, it tends to work well. It's, it's created a good process where people are like, okay, well, people in the team are like, okay, well, I can see that, you know, him not coaching is actually great for us. Like, and it, it's, it's paid dividends.
1: Here's a thought process. What's your opinion on people – posting for reach or posting for income so for example like you can post content in terms of social proof transformation tends to get pretty shitty reach and pretty shit engagement yet Mm. makes money Mm. or posting more viral content that pulls more people in 80-20 yeah I agree yeah like I would be like
0: you need to feed your like if we think about this from a marketing perspective right you need to feed your funnel right you need to actually have new acquisition coming in and it's like give people what they want give them what like wrap wrap what people need with what they want Right. So give them the front stuff on the on the front end, give them the stuff that's gonna get them in. And you can you can give them what they need later. You can give them the the results, you can give them the testimonials, you can give them the form execution, the reviews and all the service provision later. But the eighty percent should be feeding your funnel so that you can nurture them, albeit either manually doing you know, appointment setting yourself, messaging anyone that follows you, doing all the stuff that is tedious and long, or Feeding the funnel that is systemized that is automated that can help th- those people warm up and become you know, active leads
1: yeah, what I'm saying? in terms of managing your team in the business what's the top software you use for that uh, we're using GHL operated, okay. operated by knock on knock on automation I'll give him a little plug
0: because Matt has, um, has helped us a lot and um, Matt's a small business. here owns Knock On Automation. He's built essentially a whole back end pipeline that allowed us to really nurture our clients and allow us to, you know, systemize our referral, systemize our acquisition, and systemize like even um just creating a little bit of status in our business. So we like we uh, we leverage a bit of status later on down their customer journey where they get um you know their VIPs, their their limestone VIPs, where they get to come to our meet and greets, they get to come to the facility. As I said before, the facility's private. We've leveraged that a little bit that you know our top referrers can come through and and train in there sporadically, and that's all done on a, on automation. So that's been incredible. Um, that operates as our CRM as well, um, so we can see all of you know our whole pipeline at any given time. Um, outside of that, we've we've used a, a little bit of AI as well. We've used we've we've used Synthesia. We've used Descript. Um,
1: they've proven to be quite helpful too. Cool. Your own motivation, what motivates you? Because you mentioned your father earlier. Mm-hmm um interesting my 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 family
0: are very normal right and i I say that in the the nicest way but they're, they're they're nothing it's nothing special right like they've never done anything special with their life um i'm very blessed to have the parents that i do and they've been amazing but they they did not teach me like uh money success any of that stuff um the only person that comes to mind that uh i guess started that was my grandfather um not through any degree of financial wealth, not degree through any degree of like specific direction, but he would always challenge me. He would always say to me like, why are you doing things that way? Even as a kid, like I'd be tying my shoes, for example, and be like, why are you doing it like that? And I, I just said, well, because that's how dad taught me. He said, find a new way. He would always just say like, find, can you do it different? And that's what realistically, I think that's the biggest thing that I, like, I keep coming back to is like, find a new way, can you do it different? And that has been the motivation from... When I was uh, in person doing a lot of time, you know, I was making good money, but trading a lot of my t- lot of my life away for for not much in return in in reality, right? For what it really brought me, for what the cash flow really was, it didn't really buy me any sort of degree of happiness, and that has been the thing that's brought me away from that. It's like, okay, well. I don't believe that trading time is going to get me anywhere to be any any level of success or any degree of happiness. I also don't believe that any degree of of like exponential wealth is going to create specific happiness, but it gives me a shit ton of freedom too. So, it's just like everything I do is just like can I do it different and why am I doing it that way? And that's been the big motivation of like we look at every system in our in our business and uh, you know, I, I get the team in once a month I'm like cool what can we do different um, we have a, a can, can we and should we framework so it's like a little Venn diagram right? can we on one side, should on the other side the cross point is the stuff that we focus on for that quarter so we'll put as many things on that board as we can and that cross point of can we and should we then we, we then innovate and try and find a way so the motivation for me is just like it's, it's a challenge it's can I do it different and can I do it better and
1: if I do that long enough I think I'll, I'll get to a place where I'm like cool maybe I can have some freedom now you mentioned doing it things differently mm-hmm. how do you think online fitness client acquisition and that whole process is going to evolve in the next 12 months to 2 3 years
0: i think people are becoming more aware that they need a reason for people to engage with them you know like we can both agree that you know the the industry is saturated Right. there is a lot of coaches out there but I don't believe that there
1: is this a saturation of successful coaches there's a lot of people fighting for the there's bottom there's a lot of bottom feeders right yep. I, I say off the top of my head 95% of them are 0 to 5k I'd guess yeah
0: yep. I agree uh, uh, if that right. I think like the the largest percentage of people would probably be sitting in that below 100k mark per year and just to, to once you accept that I think it becomes this okay well where does the industry go in five years I think it's like we've, we've seen a shift in the last five years people have started to respect more education I think the next thing is now people are actually going to want to be told how to do it without you um, but stay for the culture that you, you create community. community and I think since you know the virus the, everyone was locked down and everyone was away from people and lacked that element of community I think that over the coming years they will start to crave that f- far more and I think that's where we're, for us, I can speak anecdotally, we're putting a lot, large portion of our time and development and a lot of resources into creating community and culture. Um, it's a bit of a weird one but I give it an analogy of like you can you can provide value through the head, heart, gut or genitals so double h or double g, right? Head being a, that you can educate them, heart you can create community and create give people that you know sense of belonging, gut you can give them so many resources that they just are always having something new to consume and then genitals you can have the status, you can be the person that has the highest price point or has the highest level of exclusivity, right? We've already kind of gone down the road of status. We charge a lot, right? And we do, you know, x amount of intakes per month. Um, Education—that's really what we built the business off. Resources down the gut road. We've got a lot. Like we provide a lot of people, a lot of things for people that we drip feed out over their customer journey, and we've mapped that out. That you know, let's say the LTV is average thirty-six weeks. We drip feed a bunch of those resources over those thirty-six weeks. But community is something that we have not done. We've not done well. We've not even really given it. Um, any thought, right? I've tested a lot of theories, again, and I'll, and I'll own this. I'm teaching from theory in this regard with a lot of customers, a lot of clients of mine. Um, and some things have worked really well, some things that haven't. But ultimately, the thing that I see that when we look at inquiries, when I look over our, our acquisition rate, when I look at any of those those inbound inquiries, it's people are wanting support and community. And I think that's where, you know, the next five years, if you can clock that, that
1: road of the value act, that value proposition, I think you'll do very well. I'm glad you said that because that's the biggest focus we've probably done last 12 to 18 months is mm-hmm. you nail the community, then people don't leave. Like yep. so, Which is why we now do training camps in Marbella, UK. We do one in Vegas in the summer. Like, and when you physically get people to come and meet you and train with you and train with your trainers and stuff, it's like they're not leaving.
0: Yeah, you create stickiness. Yeah. right, And it gives people, they feel more obliged to stay if they've got a friend doing it and then they've referred three friends and they're still in the system.
1: They don't want to leave, right? Yeah. you want you be part of the club and that's all like they've they've got a partner to join and like that's when we came out earlier in this podcast is like using clients to acquire more clients and Mm -hmm. like for my side of things like our team often says to me like it's pretty expensive to fly everyone to fucking vegas and put them all up and do this Mm -hmm. other stuff but we mentioned earlier in terms of like um team culture Mm -hmm. really fucking good they're super happy and just
0: understanding your your numbers knowing Mm -hmm. that one person they've also paid for three other like yeah the, the singularity cost that comes with flying and, and accommodation sure but it, i'm guarantee it would still be outweighed on the back end
1: two and a half clients renew for an extra program we're good yeah like yep. it's and the reality is the compound mm. effect after that is going to mm. be way more than that because of referrals and stuff yeah. like yeah
0: i want to double back to that one thing quickly because i think in sales and i and it's something i teach all the time in sales you've got you've got Three different types, right? You've got feature, benefit, and solution, right? And I think a lot of people in our industry, online fitness, they're on their stories and they're just listing features of their service. Like check in once a week, support, customized diet. Correct, right? That's a feature, right? If you're going to start building out support, um, if you're going to start building out community, you need to go down the road of that solution oriented sales. Like how does that actually help them with insert X, X goal rather than just being a feature? You get to go on a retreat, like but why retreat that does
1: what mm. yeah if you get good at that you'll be able to sell really well and i think this is the problem most people don't think why about most things in life they're like like head down and they're just don't open their eyes to reality of what why anything works mm. there's like no ability to think critically when they look at things mm-hmm. yeah i think people are just moving too quick they lose peripheral vision so life's just moving fast do you think some of that is slightly off topic? i was probably about to make up a word then. Dummification of society from oh, social yeah. media and stuff like that. It's just like everyone's like a fucking zombie. And yeah. just it's only going to get worse too. And because I know you'll see this as well, um, I see it from the online coaching crowd that they all follow each other like fucking sheep. Like, so I see people copy my shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel just like doing something stupid just to see if I can start a trend to see mm-hmm. if people would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think of something now. And that's where people don't realize. Like, I'll give it a good example. I think it was like three days ago, I think I saw like six people launch a twelve week challenge exactly at the same time and I know who they're by, all doing the same thing. I'm like, this is That's like big thing. this is like fucking retarded, right? Yeah. And I was like and this is my personal opinion, this is why a lot of people fail when they go to mentors, because they're given a one size fits all approach of like yeah. all hundred of you go and do this same thing who are in exactly the same market mm-hmm. live in the same country from the same town. Yeah. There's there's man, there's a group we'll call it in in australia that
0: one mentor sits at the top and it's very pyramid scheme-esque it's very it seems like you know you join me and then you then all become mentors as well in your own rights in your own business but you'll get my packs my systems my fonts my canva templates launch and go right and yeah unfortunately the markets that they're choosing they tend to buy into it but it's like i've spoken to people that have gone down the road with the mentoring of people that um are just selling cookie cutter approaches to mentoring the lifetime customer value of the people that they're attracting is very low. They get a volume up front because they're very high on emotion. They're they're leveraging emotional purchase very very well. Power to them. Uh, amazing. But if you exclusively sell an emotion but don't actually provide logic later, people leave because emotion is fleeting. And that's where I've noticed it like the people that are providing the the ones the one size fits all, they they're leveraging emotion. They're trying to teach how to how to, you know, use neuro-linguistic programming to manipulate people to buy the thing but then how do you keep them? The problem is with that one size fits all, there's no actual like business acumen that's taught. There's no system, strategy, process. Self-development. Yeah. It's just take this and go because it worked for me. But they are forgetting that the people that they're selling to are not them. And they don't have the personality. They don't, maybe even don't have the work ethic. And that's something that I, I'm very big on that. Like, okay, maybe, maybe we're all inherently lazy. Right, as entrepreneurs maybe we want to build a thing that one day we can do nothing we probably won't but we have this this thing in the back of our mind that like hey we just like to maybe do nothing but we just love the game too much to keep playing and i think that describes a lot of us in this world very well and a lot of people get into that position we're like okay well i just want to hand off what i've done and give it to other people and charge a lot of money for it but then just not have any responsibility on the back end to make sure it actually works and that's where with our industry there's no accountability there's no, no one's willing to sit, sit behind their their service and very few, very few are willing to sit behind their service and say, hey, I know this will work and I will actually provide you the, the nuance to make sure it does and I'll coach you. That's the difference between a business coach and just someone, a business mentor and someone that just gives you a thing.
1: And most people just give you a video database. Correct, yeah. And that, that inherently is a problem because mm-hmm. information isn't the issue we have nowadays. It's the lack of implement, implementation. Yeah. But that's exactly where I was coming before, You know, going down that value proposition of gut.
0: If you log into a portal and there's 400 videos for you to vi- to watch, you're like, hell yeah, this
1: is valuable. You're never gonna watch them all. Okay, I've got a funny story. I got uh, access to someone's membership site mm-hmm. and I looked through it and I was like, this is fucking awful. I was mm-hmm. like, the video is like 50 minutes long. There's way too many of them mm-hmm. and I was like, I know what I'm doing. I come in here and I'm like, where the fuck do you start with this? Mm-hmm. So like someone who doesn't know what they're doing comes into it. You're like, Jesus Christ. And that's the reality of like, I'm, I think Australians are probably the same. Um, probably get yeah, it from us. British people, I'm very like blunt, short and concise mm-hmm. to the point of like, do this, do this, do that. And then like, yep. see you later. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, so like anything we do training wise, if it's a video is like five minutes long, rather yep. than like a 50 minute ramble with like one minute bit of knowledge that you need to know. Yeah. And this is the problem that people need to understand is like, the most important thing and for you coaching your clients is having an efficient process like you said earlier of like mm-hmm. here's the desired outcome. So I say to people as well it's like if I speak to you once and you have a speak to me again on 3x your business would you be happy? And they're like yeah. Well that's the goal. So like here's what you do and like see you later. Like mm-hmm. if you have anything else you need then we can go through it from there. Yep. Because that's the goal is you can just give someone something that's so simple they can yes. execute it and they don't need anything else. But and it's the the thought out, right? And that's
0: the thing. It's, it's actually thought out but this is the difference though. You're coming from a position of practicality mm. not theory. Mm right where the problem lies is where people just do exactly that throw the thing from theory but when shit hits the fan they go i don't fucking know i don't know what to do right and I've, I've i've had people come to me from previous mentors that have um gone down that road they've been given a pack right they've been given a thing and they're like oh but i just had two two of my staff members quit that they were the boat they were the highest revenue raisers, and there was all this key man syndrome attached to them the clients don't want to work with anyone else what do i do yeah, now we got to play business, <laughs> right? Like this is the, the game. This is the game, exactly. And that's now. Now it gets fun because now we have like that. That's that infinite loop of problem yeah. and solution. Now it
1: starts, and I think that's what people. The biggest take home lesson I could say from everyone from this podcast is life is a game of skill acquisition, and mm-hmm. you learn the skills from work with mentors who actually have the skills and have fucked up and learned how not to fuck up and how to overcome those things. you can help people do that. Yeah. So um, we'll wrap up there. Thank you very much for your time reese i'm very gonna be doing man. an episode on reese's podcast which i'm excited to do shortly um where's the best place for anyone to find out more about you um at reese livingstone
0: yeah at reese livingstone on instagram um and the podcast is from lambs to lions on youtube instagram and uh spotify
1: awesome if you guys enjoy the podcast make sure you smash the like button drop a comment below this on youtube and if you want free access to our 4c course which is exactly how we scale from zero to five million dollars in organic sales you can hit the link below This episode and get access to that and we'll see you next episode very soon.